Just before we get started this morning, I did want to share one thing in addition to the announcements that we shared this morning. That was dealing with when we come back to on-site services next week. We will still be having our live stream, and so we do not plan to stop that. We continue to move forward with that. We believe that to be one of the things that the Lord really has opened up to us during this season. And, um, and so we just want you to know that if you opt to stay home, the live stream will still take place. Um, we're not going to stop that. That's going to continue forward. So I just wanted to share that with you um, so that you know that, that part of us loving one another well is keeping opportunities available for each of us to worship. And so whether we're worshiping on site next Sunday together or whether we're worshiping at home together, um, that we recognize that we are one family, the Redemption Hill family, uh, worshiping together in Christ. As we consider this word of love, uh, I want us to just think about our nation over the last few weeks. And one of the things that we've seen over the past few weeks has been several acts which are void of love. We've seen disregard for human life and the, the death of George Floyd. We, we've seen violence towards police who've given their lives in serving the public. We've seen destruction of others' property. And a general mistrust of motivations are just a few of the ways that this lack of love has been displayed. And so, the truth is, is that, ironically, in our own culture... Our culture has defined love to mean many things. Uh, more often than not, love has become confused for complete and utter tolerance of one's actions or behaviors. In fact, people will reference the last part of 1 John 4.8 and declare God as love, and they'll use that to justify their own definition of love. My hope this morning, and my hope through this summer series on loving as children of God, that we would embrace what it really means to love as followers of Christ, and how that love looks different from the world. Because if God is truly love, then God gets to define love, and His Word has much to say about it. So let's go ahead this morning, we're going to look at a passage which I think has often been torn up and maybe even used apart from its context to place the attribute of love as the only and sole attribute of God and of His people. And yet we are to be known by His love, but God defines what love looks like. And so we have to be careful that we don't allow the world's definition of love to creep in to our understanding of love. In fact, because we live in the world that we do, we have to fight against adopting the world's view of love and continue to come back to the Word of God. And there are times in the Word of God that we may not understand or even necessarily see how something is loving, but we have to trust that God is loving when we walk in obedience to Him. Because if God is operating in that way towards us, we know that it's the most loving so let's read this together. 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to go all the way through verse 13. And this is what it says. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Loving like Christ builds up and unifies His body, displaying the reality of God's kingdom. Loving like Christ builds up and unifies His body, displaying the reality of God's kingdom. Loving builds up and unifies. But it's the way that God has instructed us to love. Now, by way of context, it's important to understand that chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians is dealing with spiritual gifts. And what's unique about this passage is that I think that you can spend a ton of time in chapter 13 and and actually delve new insights and new gleanings of it because God is continuing to grow us in love. I've been blessed to be able to preach out of this passage. I think this is the third time to be able to to take and to sift through it. And the truth is that God continues to grow me in love. The truth is that He continues to grow each of us in love. And so in verse 12, the spiritual gifts are given to the body for building up His church. And yet, at the end of chapter 12, in verse 31, Paul says, "...but earnestly to desire the higher gifts..." And I will show you a still more excellent way. And then we dive into this chapter on love. You see, in the church of Corinth, as with many churches today, an emphasis was being placed on the manifestation of those gifts and the work of the ministry at the expense of the most excellent thing, which was love. Without love, the body of Christ becomes marked by spiritual pride and disunity. You see, the Greek word in chapter 13 is the word agape. Now in Greek, there are are four usages or four words for the word love. The the first deals with eros, which is a a sexual love. The the second is storge, which deals with a familial love, a, a family love. The third is this kind of brotherly kindness or friendship love, which is philia. And then the fourth is agape. And this agape love is 
a love that we have to describe what Christ has done towards man and His love towards man. It, it literally means to hold in high regard or to regard with affection. It, it's the idea of laying oneself down or sacrificing. It's a, a selfless love. And it's a love that only Christ actually has and demonstrates towards us. And it's only a love that can be demonstrated towards one another when we're experiencing the power of Christ and His love. 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. That the love of God should motivate us to love one another. It should lead us to love others. It should lead us to love Him. See, agape love is essential to growth and unity within Christ's church. And so, he is telling the church that there is a more excellent way to be built up, even than spiritual gifts and even of the work of the ministry, and he's saying it's love. So the first thing that we see in this passage here deals with verses 1-3. through And notice how Paul says this. He says, If I speak, have prophetic powers understand all mysteries, all knowledge, have all faith, give away all I have, deliver up my body, but have not love. I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal, nothing, and gain nothing. Do you see that there in verses 1-3? through three? The idea, he says, if I speak, notice, have prophetic powers, have understand all mysteries, all knowledge, have all faith, give away all I have, deliver up my body, but have not love. Listen to what he says. I am a noisy gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. I'm nothing, and I gain nothing. See, the ministry of the body of Christ, individually and together, is spiritually worthless without love. The ministry of the body of Christ, individually and together, is spiritually worthless without love. It's not having the impact that Christ desires. It's not being done for His glory. It's not changing lives. It's not revealing the love of Christ to others, which is the way that we glorify Christ. As we walk in love with Christ and we walk obedient to Him, and as we walk in love with one another, and we demonstrate the way that God has laid out his love for us, a selfless love that's empowered by Him. You see, speaking in tongues without love is just noise. He says this in verse 1, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In fact, if you speak in tongues without love, since He's calling it just noise, that noise is actually irritating rather than encouraging. See, pagans during this time worshipped using gongs and cymbals. What Paul was actually saying here is he was making the point that a person that was speaking in tongues without love is like a pagan. It's as if they're spiritually dead. He's talking about the uselessness, the worthlessness of a ministry without love. In addition, preaching or possessing knowledge or understanding of the Word or having faith that moves mountains means nothing without love. Having discernment, knowledge, and faith without love 
will only actually lead us to think more highly than we ought. And we begin to think of ourselves as spiritual when in fact God says we're nothing. That's profound. We're not to measure ourselves by the sermon or by knowledge or even the gifting that God has given to preach or to teach. But God's saying, listen, you're to be growing in love, growing in love for Him and growing in love for others. And He says there, we are nothing if we practice those things apart from love. And then Paul finally shares this. He says in the verse 3, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. See, even a sacrifice of one's possessions or life has no reward without love. God is, is dealing with our hearts. And it's easy to think that just because I, I sacrifice something for somebody else, that that was the essence of love. But if my heart is one of a grumbling spirit and a force and a, a simple duty rather than a, a love for another person, God's saying that we gain nothing by that. There is no spiritual reward. See, in essence, attempting to serve God without love produces self-righteousness or self-justification, and it leads to pride. It does more harm in the body of Christ than it does good. And it minimizes the work that Christ has done on the cross for us. You see, the main evidence of the Holy Spirit living within us is a growing love for God and for others. Gordon Fee puts it this way. He says, possession of the charismata or the charismatic gifts, or the, the spiritual gifts that we would say, whatever those gifts are that we can find in chapter 12 or throughout the New Testament that have been given to believers by the Holy Spirit, that those gifts are not the sign of the Spirit, but rather Christian love is. That God has called us to be a loving people. You see, in Galatians 5.22 it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And, and that's why spiritual gifts are important in the ministry and the work of the church. But we need to be careful. They're not a measure of our, our relationship with Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is the best way to evaluate whether or not God is moving and working in your own life. You see, the body of Christ, His church must be marked by His love. And without this love, we will not mature together as followers of Christ and reflect His glory to the world. Romans 5.5 5 affirms this when it says, But hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, one of the primary differences between spiritual love and human love is that spiritual love seeks a relationship with Jesus first and then with others. It's empowered by our relationship with Christ. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit working through us. 
You see, when this happens, we'll grow in our love with one another. When Christ is first, we will grow in our love for one another and we will grow in our understanding of love. When we put the individual in front of God, we will confuse what love is. That's why it's so easy to look out and say, well, that seems loving if I just show a level of tolerance. If I just allow them to continue in sin or I just continue to allow them in a destructive way, apart from saying anything. What we will do is we will value the relationship with the individual more than we will value the individual. And that's why it's so essential that we put Christ first. Because it's Christ's relationship with us that drives our understanding. It allows us to go to the Word and believe that what God's Word says and instructs us to do is the most loving thing. Yeah, we're to take care of the fatherless and the widows. Yes, we're to meet the needs of the needy and poor. We're to bear up burdens with others. We're to confess sin one to another and pray for one another. And there are times when God asks us to discipline appropriately, as we see in 1 Corinthians 5, where we're told to remove the person who is in unrepentant sin from the body of Christ, one, for the holiness of the body, but two, for the sake of of the person in sin. I've shared this example before, but there's nothing more loving When a child is riding down the driveway into the street on their bicycle and a car is coming down the road and a shout is made to stop and the child doesn't stop and so a father kicks the tire at the front tire on the bicycle and the kid goes flying against the pavement and the car goes by. Now, if you took that in isolation and you saw a father kick the tire of the front wheel of the child, the child hit the ground, you'd say, what was that? That just seems mean and means spirited and loving. But if you put it in context that this child was facing certain death by being smacked by this car, the most loving thing that was done was by the front wheel being kicked out. You see, when we understand the plight of man when we understand that sin leads to death, then we can go confidently with Christ in love. And this is where he gets it. He says, listen, now that you understand that love is different than the world, my love is different from the world, that's why I came into the world. Now I'm going to lay out for you what this love actually looks like. This love that is generated by a a relationship with Christ first and then with others. A love that says, listen, it is Christ who sustains me and gives me the ability to love you well. And so while we saw there that love that or service that is apart from love is worthless, the second thing we see is that Christ-like love is a grace of the Holy Spirit and reveals His work in our lives. The only way that we can actually love that way is through Jesus and through His grace. But then on top of it, it actually is evidence of God's work. So, what does this love look like? Well, Christ-like love 
which builds up and unifies, we see here two things. One, it's long-suffering and kind. In verse 4, it says love is patient and kind. And this word patient in the original language actually speaks of the idea of being patient when being wronged. There's a story of Abraham Lincoln that's been told that no one treated Abraham Lincoln with more contempt than Edwin M. Stanton. And Edwin Stanton was in the previous presidential administration, or Buchanan, and Stanton called Abraham Lincoln a low, cunning clown. And he nicknamed the original gorilla. And yet Lincoln never responded. When it came time to pick, up his, war, pick his war minister and his, his new cabinet as he became president, he picked Stanton because Stanton was the best for the job, and he treated him with courtesy in spite of the way that Stanton had treated him. Years later, when the assassin's bullet murdered Lincoln in the theater, in the little room, the body was taken to across from the theater. We're told that Stanton stood there, and looking down on Lincoln's silent face, he said through his tear, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. As Brian Bell puts it, the patience of love had conquered in the end. The patience that God has called us, the love that God has called us to, is one that is long-suffering. It endures with others. And in that patience, there is a kindness that goes with it. The, the truth comes and the kindness goes with it. See, it's the response to long-suffering I think sometimes it's easy to long suffer with people, but we can bemoan it. We can grow agitated. We can get a flippant attitude and go, how long must I endure with you? But what Christ's love is, is one of kindness. It's not a matter of, do I have to love you? It's a matter of, I get to love you. It's recognizing that we're all fallen. It's recognizing that when we live in a fallen world, we're going to have hurts and pains. And we're going to have to long suffer with others. I know in my own life that one of the greatest testimonies of God's work in my life was teaching me to love others. Many of you know that I've shared before, but many of you probably don't know by witnessing me that I'm highly introverted and actually quite shy. I'm a learned extrovert. I've learned to be assertive in ways that I wasn't growing up. And I was one who enjoyed keeping to myself. And as a result of that, I was not one who really enjoyed people much at all. And I would say I was not one who loved people well as God began working in my life and as I submitted my life to Christ, what was a very selfish person began becoming concerned about who people are and where people are at and what the relationship is like with Jesus. And my heart of compassion grew for people. And if you knew me and those who came and saw me in the hospital years ago that it was amazing that 20 years 
of difference and separation, guys would walk in the room and still say, I don't know how you became a pastor. It's a testimony to God's redeeming work, but loving work. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Christ is a long-suffering God. One who is patient with us, desiring that none should perish, as we saw in, in 2 Peter 3 a few weeks ago. So what's the second way then we love? The first is this idea of being patient and kind, long-suffering and kind. The second is we see here in verse 7 where it says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love protects. It's good, it's hopeful, and it's faithful. The phrase bears all things in Greek literally means to cover closely. It carries with it the idea of sealing things so that water can't get in. It's different in enduring in that it's protecting things from being destroyed. It's coming alongside the hurting person and bearing up so they don't crumble underneath it. It's coming along the person struggling in sin, who's wrestling, saying, I want out of this sin, but I just I feel powerless to it. It's lifting them up, sealing them, coming alongside so that they won't be destroyed by it. At the heart of this protection, then, is gentleness and self-control. It allows us to come alongside and be gentle, to recognize that we're all in need of God's grace, to help one another walk with the self-control that only Christ can provide. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, he said, I would, my brothers and sisters, that we could all imitate the pearl oyster. A hurtful particle intrudes itself into its shell, and this vexes and grieves it. It cannot eject the evil, and what does it do but cover it with a precious substance extracted out of its own life by which it turns the intruder into a pearl. Oh, that we could do so with the provocations we receive from our fellow Christians so that pearls of patience, gentleness, long-suffering, and forgiveness might be bred within us by that which has harmed us. When we learn to forgive, God does amazing things in our life because we experience what Christ has done for us. So, what does Christ's love, love, which builds up and unifies, what is it not? We saw what it is, but now what is it not? Well, verse 4 and 5 tells us that it's not envious, prideful, selfish, irritable, and unforgiving. It's not envious, prideful, selfish, irritable, and unforgiving. It's content. It possesses outward and inward humility. It's considerate and seeks the good of others before ourselves. It's even-tempered and it's forgiving. Proverbs 18.2 says this, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. I think a lot of times we are quick to express our opinion. I think we have a culture today that does not seek understanding, but is quick to offer its opinion. The Scriptures actually refer that as to as a fool or to being foolish. 
Think about that in your own life for a minute. Are, are there times when you don't understand something and you immediately become critical? How about when somebody is advising you on something and you don't understand why they're advising you on that? Maybe it's you're at work or school in this time of, of COVID and they're telling you that you need to do something and your immediate response is critical, but then when you hear the reason, you go, oh, yeah. How about with others? You become critical with them because you're annoyed by their behavior, but when you gain understanding of what's gone on in their life, you see the growth that has actually taken place. You see, when we take time to listen, to understand, we're communicating a level of love. We're walking actually in wisdom and the wisdom of God, which is loving, rather than in the foolishness of man. Think about that. When we're loving towards people, we listen and seek understanding. That's important. Because so often, disunity occurs because we're prideful and we're selfish. We believe we already know. We're irritable. We don't like and we don't want to take the time with this person. We don't take the time listening to them. We don't want to take the time talking to them. But in fact, what God is saying is we're actually walking not in love. We're not demonstrating the love that Christ has called us to. Christ-like love which builds up and unifies is also not, as we see in verse 6, praising or staying quiet regarding sinfulness. It's not praising or staying quiet regarding sinfulness. We see in Romans 1 that there will be a day when we give up natural relationships for unnatural relationships as a culture and it will be praised. There will be those in the church that will do the same And what he says here is that that is not loving. That it's not loving to remain quiet in the face of sinfulness. In fact, we're told throughout Scripture that those who can lead people away from sinfulness have covered a multitude of sin. Meaning that they've led them out of that danger as Christ has worked through them to come alongside that person to lead them out of sin. This is different than the world, isn't it? Where the world just says, keep going where you're going. Be who you are. It's not for me, but fine for you. In the body of Christ, we're we're anchored together in Jesus. We're one body, as chapter 12 tells us. And we need to remember that. That the person is more valuable than what we think is going to happen to the relationship. But as we walk in kindness, as we walk with patience, as we walk in gentleness, we can be long-suffering with people. And we need to understand that love does not stay quiet in the midst of ongoing sin. Love does not rejoice when someone participates or falls into sin. Ever seen somebody making dumb choices and your first response is, well, at least they got what they deserved. That's not a a loving response. It's not how Christ loved because 
at the very essence of who He is, He gave us what we don't deserve. As someone like myself who can be more black and white at times, I know in myself that was an area that God just exposed. Like, what do you mean they got what they deserved? You're not getting what you deserved. Christ took my rightful punishment on the cross. My sin put Jesus on the cross. I deserve death for my sin, and Jesus has given me life because of His love for me. This is why the truth is so important. Because we need to grieve what God grieves. In Ephesians 4, 15-16, we're told that rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up into what? Love. That speaking the truth actually builds the body up in love. Speaking the truth in love builds the body up in love. We need to understand that. Stephen Cole, pastor at Flagstaff Christian Fellowship, says this, There's a fine balance to love. Although love is kind and overlooks the faults of others, it does not compromise the truth or take a soft view of sin. To allow another person to go on in sin, whether it is known sin or a blind spot, is not to seek his best. It is not love. Love will sensitively confront and correct precisely because it cares deeply and knows that sin destroys. What a wonderful way to put it. So then why is love considered the more excellent way? Simply put in verse 8, we're told... Love never ends. I think many of us have probably learned that as love never fails. But truth be told, I I think the ESV translates this well. The context really helps us understand. The idea here is that love never ends. It's eternal. Verse 9 and 10 tells us that the spiritual gifts will pass away. They'll cease. And they'll cease when the perfect comes. And that perfect is Jesus They won't be needed when Jesus returns. See, when Jesus returns, there are other things that are going to happen. We're going to see here that those things that we thought of that were more childish, God is maturing us in. And what I mean by that is is that what He's saying is, is that love is the thing that values here, that's eternal. See, in verse 11, he says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. His point is that a person's focus on the gifts rather than love for Christ and others is a sign of immaturity, not a sign of maturity. Because God will make himself fully known when he returns. So the third major thing that we see in this passage in verse 13 is that loving Christ in others is eternal and greatest. Loving Christ in others is eternal and greatest. Glorifying Him and preparing us for His kingdom. What He's saying here is this, is that when Christ comes, gifts are no longer needed because they're no longer declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. He is in front of us and we know. The second part of this is that we will be, we will be known in the same way 
that we're known right now by God, we will know Him. Meaning we're not going to know all things, but we're going to have knowledge of Him. A perfect knowledge of understanding who God is. And it says here in verse 13, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. See, when Christ returns, spiritual gifts aren't going to be needed. We'll have full knowledge. And then our faith will be made complete because Christ is now standing in front of us. Our hope will be completely fulfilled and that Christ has returned and redeemed His people, glorifying them with Him. But the one thing that will always endure is love. You see, when Christ returns, love will remain. Romans 14, 17-19 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Here's his point. Because love is eternal, when we love as Christ loved, we allow people to experience the kingdom of God. And we experience the kingdom of God at work now, not just in the future. So God has called us to love. And so my question for you this morning is, are you loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Are you seeing His love being manifested in your life and the way that you love others? And are you loving others then in the way that Christ has called you to love? May we be a people at redemption who don't allow the world to define love for us. But may we be a people who allow Jesus to love us, to empower us, and in His grace, love as He once loved us and continues to love us. Let's pray. Thanks, God. Thank You that You continue to love us. May we be a people who love well, who allow others here to experience the unity, the encouragement, the hope, and the joy of your kingdom. God, our kingdom on earth is broken. And people need you and your kingdom. So Father, may your church May Redemption Hill Church love the world in a way that they might experience the power of your kingdom. And may we love one another knowing that the reality of the kingdom of God is at hand. And may we be a people, Lord, that proclaim, just as Jesus did at the beginning of his ministry, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. May we be a people that believe that you've called us to love according to the way that you have loved us, not according to the world. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.